I wanted to be able to, I, I remember, you know, like I said, that first time I was taught a Bible study and taught about Acts 238 and taught about the oneness of God and how that blew my mind. I wanted to be able to do that with others. I wanted mm. to be able to blow their mind with the word of God and what's in the word of God, because so many people they've heard the Bible, perhaps bits of the Bible, but they, they don't understand it or they don't understand the gems that are in there and, and the, the way it can just expand your revelation. And, you know, you just learn things from the word of God that just astound you and surprise you and change your life. And I wanted to be able to do that. And I guess that's when I sort of felt that call to ministry during those years, knowing that and wanting to be able to teach others or share to others and be able to blow their mind with the word of God, the way my mind had been blown by the word of God. Welcome to the Hacker Podcast. My name is Greg Hackathorn. I hope you all are doing well. Today we are blessed to be joined by a good friend of mine. Ben Finn is an assistant pastor of the Pentecostals of Sydney, my home church. He previously served as the youth pastor of the POS, which we talk about at length in this conversation. He has traveled ministering throughout Australia, the South Pacific, and Asia. Just as an FYI, we recorded this about a month ago while we were still in lockdown in Sydney. Restrictions have since lifted and Australia has actually finally opened up its international borders today. That's for the first time since March 2020. So if you're listening to this from around the world, please come visit us in Sydney in New South Wales. The borders are open and you can come holiday without having a quarantine. So that's great news for us today. Before we get to the conversation, I want to encourage you to share this with a friend if you get something out of it and allow it to bless them as well. Also, if you have time to rate and review the show where you listen to it, I would greatly appreciate that as it provides feedback for me and it makes it easier for new listeners to discover the show. Now with that taken care of, let's get to my conversation with Ben Finn. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Nice to uh, pop in, have a couple with you, have a chit chat. It's uh, great to be on the podcast. I'm really looking forward to this one because you're just a wealth of information. It's it's very rare that I have a conversation with you that I don't leave uh, learning something. I always learn something when I have a, a chat with you. Well, when it's recorded, my mind goes blank. So there will be no information giving at this stage. Oh, man. Well, um, it's a privilege to have you on here, and uh, I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join us. Uh, Normally, with these conversations, we start off by uh, getting a bit of a background uh, about the guests, just so the listeners get to know you a bit more, and they're able to sort of connect with you and understand where you're coming from, your worldview. So if you wouldn't mind sharing with us a bit about uh, your background, where you come from, and some of your interests growing up? Yeah, so I'm Sydney born and bred. Uh, I was born in the King George V Hospital over in Camperdown, across the road from the RPA. The, and uh, we lived in Burwood when I was first born and around Croydon, Croydon Park, moved around those areas, 
And then finally, my parents, when I was about seven or eight, bought a house all the way out in Barella, which was about a 10-minute drive away, but um, all the way on the other side of Rookwood Cemetery, um, which at the time just felt like a whole different world to me when I was just a young kid and obviously had to get used to all new friends and stuff. And um, so grew up you know, there until my 20s, lived around Barella. So I'm pretty much, you know, that's my real local area and still keeping contact with friends from those times and people I've known since primary school, my mates that I went to school with and so forth. So went to Biron Boys High School, which um, was fun as well. And um, yeah, and I, I look at kids today and I think, wow, you know, like you guys are missing out because the kind of things we used to get up to as a kid, playing with firecrackers and wandering through dark tunnels around the suburb and burning things and doing kind of stupid things. And But anyway, I'm glad they don't do some of the things that I, I did when I was a kid, but at the same time, I think, you know, they kind of miss out on some of the fun things that I got to do when I was a kid and some of the adventures that uh, we used to get up to. Um, my dad, he worked for the uh, water board. Um, so he was just a a guy that would go around, you know, working on pipes, like blue collar kind of work. And my mum worked for telecom when we were growing up. I think when they first met each other, my dad was living in Stratfield. My mum was living in Burwood and uh, he was working as an apprentice panel beater. Mm. And my mum was like working in the bank or something like that. But my mum was from the country originally. She was born in Port Macquarie and, um, grew up a bit in Port Macquarie, Taree, and then she moved down to Sydney when she was in her teens and went to Stratfield Girls High School. And my dad, he was born in Sydney and grew up in uh, Woolloomooloo and Balmain and then moved out to Stratfield when uh, his family needed a bigger house. And they, they were both housing commission kids, so they were both Houso kids. So I'm the, the son of Houso kids, but have never lived in housing commission myself. So it was just... Me and my younger sister, like um, I was born out of wedlock. My parents got married 10 months after I was born. And then uh, my younger sister was born after that, Rebecca. And uh, it was just us until I was 11. And then my mum and dad, they uh, split up when I was in year six. So mm -hmm. my dad, he had uh, itchy feet, if you know what I mean. And mm -hmm. um he sort of had uh, other friends, girls that uh, he shouldn't have had at the time when he was married. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my friend Randall was staying over one night. We were having a sleepover, you know, 11-year-olds, you know, about to watch something on TV, the Bill Collins Saturday night movie. And then my the phone started ringing. My mum answered the phone and all of a sudden my parents started fighting and which was a bit embarrassing because my friend was over and then it got really heated and my mum threw out like my dad's drawers from the cupboard. I remember her taking the drawers out with all the clothes still in it and just chucking them on the front yard oh, wow. and just freaking out, just going like my world was just caving in and had to take my friend out the back and up the driveway so he could sort of avoid all the commotion at the front door mm. and he had to go s stay at another friend's house because his parents were actually out that night. <laughs> Hence why he was sleeping over. So 
I remember we all slept in the same bed as my mum that night and we just cried and and that was like just this kind of new world because I'd always been used to having mum and dad there and you know just feeling like a family and then all of a sudden we, we felt so alone and funnily enough during the separation or during my parents process of getting separated my mum made my dad teach her how to drive so that she could learn how to drive and get a license and also my mum wanted another child so he left her a parting gift of another no child way. and uh this was after they were separated and wow. so I had another younger sister Bronwyn and then it was just us and uh my mum's parents my grandparents moved in with us for a while and then they moved out like just to the other side of Barella. and yeah so that was that was a bit of a, a a difficult thing and like divorce seems like it's like just everywhere at the moment you know mm -hmm. but when I was growing up it was quite an uncommon thing and I remember like other parents feeling really sorry for me and like my friends parents sort of spoiling me in a sense because they felt sorry for me oh this is the kid his parents got divorced that kind of thing mm -hmm. because it was it was actually quite rare especially where we were living um it was you know a pretty blue collar kind of area that you didn't it cost money to get divorced in those days you know it was an expensive thing and it, it was tough if you were a single parent single mum so it wasn't something that you could just do lightly i'm not saying that it's like these days but it was it was a, even harder in those days than it is today right. and then um my dad he remarried he and actually married a lovely lady um, and had another two kids to her. And so I have another brother and sister from that marriage, Travis and Tamara. And so that's my family dynamic. I guess, you know, growing up, you know, it was into different things. Um, really loved sport as most kids do in Australia and used to play rugby league, was an avid fan of rugby league. Grew up supporting the Balmain Tigers. Used to go to games with my grandfather. He was a member. Used to see Laurie Nichols, who's, if you know who he is, is like this crazy fan, this old shearer that used to come to games. And he'd always come and rub my head and, you know, pretend like shadow box me and stuff like <laughs> that. And, you know, so I grew up supporting Balmain. Played um, a little bit when I was a kid. I wasn't very good at rugby league though, so I didn't progress Ended up playing tennis for a long time, though. I wasn't too bad at that. Not as good as our pastor, but <laughs> I was I was okay at that. And I played rugby union at school. Loved playing cricket, you know, just with mates. You know, we'd go play at the park every all summer. You know, every day you'd go play cricket. Uh, got into sailing a bit as well. Had a mate whose uncle owned these, like, little sailboats. These boats called lasers and sabos and used to sail, loved that. But one thing I liked doing when I was a kid was uh, reading and collecting maps, mm. which is a very, very odd thing to do for a kid. And I remember saving up money, save up all those like dollar, you know, 50 cent coins, all this money I saved. And um, I went to the news agent to buy a street directory of Adelaide. <laughs> and the, the lady behind the counter was like, 
looking at her, I was probably 10 and sort of like, and she told me off. She's rather than, Hey man, it's a sale. Like you're getting business that <laughs> UBD of Adelaide is finally getting sold in a Barella news agent. And she kind of like went, what do you want this for? And I, I remember like getting really like put off, like really upset, really embarrassed. And I was like, I don't know, I like maps. I like looking at maps and still like looking at maps, still, you know, a bit of a collector, but I'm not like going to spend too much money on it or anything like that. Um, got right into skateboarding as well when I was a teenager. I wasn't, wasn't very good at that. I had mates that were pretty good, but just used to get injured a lot. Um, was right into music as well. And I was kind of the kid into like the, I was into like weird underground music and mm. I had funny haircuts when I was in school. And I remember I grew a beard when I was year 11. It was kind of just a bit of an odd cat like that. <laughs> and um, so much so that because I kind of had this odd look and this kind of, I guess, different way of dressing even a little bit, um, these guys invited me into their band. Oh, so wow. it was just a guitarist and a drummer and they go, Hey, do you want to join our band? And I'm like, but I can't play an instrument. And they go, no, but you got the look. We need you for the, the look. We'll teach you how to play. And so they taught me how to play bass. I was, again, wasn't that great at it, but we played like for the school concert at the end of the year. We, you know, just used to rehearse all the time, but that was fun, I guess. Then I sort of veered off a bit after that. Uh, during high school, you know, like most, a lot of kids at that time, you know, started drinking, smoking pot, um, smoking cigarettes, you know, smoking behind the, in the sort of hidden places of the school. And um, I remember drinking a bottle of passion pop, which is this $3 passion fruit wine when I was 17. Uh, drank it in the morning as you do and um, bought a balaclava from a army disposal shop in Bankstown on a 40 degree day started wearing it for a laugh wore it into a supermarket at Barilla then got followed by a police car back oh, yeah. to the front of my house and all of a sudden there were cop cars that just came from everywhere guns pulled out had my friends on the ground who were in the car with me searched the car got arrested got taken to the police station, got threatened with being charged for disguise with intent to rob, thought, oh, here we go. What do I do? But because I was very drunk and um, found it hard to stop smiling at the time, the policeman said to me that he didn't think I was showing enough remorse. I was really trying hard to cry, and but I couldn't do it. I couldn't get myself to cry. I was freaking out on the inside, but smiling on the outside maybe a nervous smile. And um, so then I thought, what, what can I say? What can I do? And I remember saying, oh, sorry, officer, um, will this affect me if I want to become a police officer in the future? And the guy just cracked up laughing and they ended up letting me go. But sort of went downhill from there. Uh, went to uni for a bit, studied science at uni for six months. Got this, like you said, with your Bible Bible school course, you did the shorter version. I, I did the very short version of uni, the six month version and, um, and uh, deferred back in 1992. I was right into clubbing, then started to get into, you know, harder drugs and started going to rave parties in warehouses around 
Alexandria and mascot started, you know, doing worse and worse things, I guess, to my body and, and to my mind. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I guess got myself into a state where I really needed God. Right. And then, um, I remember me and my mate, Danny Abdulrahman one night, we went to the city to get some money back on some rave tickets. Um, so raves were maybe $25 a ticket or something, which was a lot of money in those days, back in my day. And it was, uh, 1994. I remember there were these big bushfires going on at the time and the sky was filled with smoke and there was ash coming out of the sky. I've never seen anything like this before. And mm. it was very apocalyptic and it was started to get me thinking about things. And I'd been up in Byron Bay a few times in, at that time. And we'd stayed there for a while, just a few months before. And I had a near death experience while I was on drugs. And it started to make me think about God and about eternity and where I would go. I remember seeing a, a tract from someone and it was talking about the mark of the beast and barcodes and 666. And I remember looking up at a barcode and seeing the three sixes, the dividing lines on the barcode and working that out while I was just staring at this barcode and going, wow, those, those Christians are actually onto something, you know, and I really needed an escape. I was sick of doing what I was doing. I was sick of the drugs. I was sick of the partying. I was sick of, sort of the culture that I was being surrounded by at the time. So the, a lot of the people that I, I was hanging out with, their whole, I guess, motive in life was to try and scam people, mm. was to try and basically get what they could out of life without having to work for it um, by ripping other people off and being proud of that. Like, And I thought that's a really awful way to live, you know, and... Mm. I just, I found it empty. I found it dissatisfying and, and, you know, I was taking drugs just to feel normal rather than to feel happy. And I found it was making me antisocial. I found I would come back from a weekend of partying and I'd have to like call someone just to talk to them because I was depressed. I found, you know, I found it really empty. Mm -hmm. It was destroying my soul. Right. And I really needed an answer. Anyway, as I said, we were going to get these money back on our rave tickets. or And we went to this shop called Central Station on Oxford Street and got the money back. And then we got a bottle of bourbon and a bottle of Coke and we mixed it in Hyde Park and started drinking. And then we went up to the cross and went to a couple of clubs and finally got to this one club and... We had no money to get in and uh, we used up all our money on drinks or whatnot. And we saw my mate there and it was, his mate was there with his girlfriend dropping off his girlfriend for a 21st. And um, this other girl shouted us into the club uh, because we had no money to get in. And, and that girl was Sister Lillian mm. uh, from church. And anyway, she started getting her and my mate Danny became friends and she invited him to church after that night and started getting him into Bible studies with people from church. And I remember one day 
seeing the change that was going on in my friend's life. He got the Holy Ghost, got baptized. We dragged him out of bed one Sunday morning on St. Patrick's Day. We were going to go into the city and we made him jig church that morning. I guess jig for your American <laughs> listeners is, uh, what would you call Skip that? Church. Skip church. Skip church. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we took him with us and we were smoking uh, uh, marijuana from a pipe in the park, in Hyde Park, that Arvo, and we were trying to offer it to my, to Danny, my mate, and um, but he was different, you know. And every other time, he grew up Catholic, so he'd try to smoke. He'd try to stop smoking pot a few times, and he'd go to the Catholic church, light some candles, confess to the priest, come home, and go, "Oh, that's it, boys. I've finished. I'm not going to smoke anymore." And about an hour later, he'd be smoking again. But this time, he just seemed really peaceful. He just he was sharing to us about God, no matter how much we were trying to tempt him. He just didn't want a bar of it, and he just looked as though he didn't even need any of what we were doing and he looked completely at peace and mm. it really attracted me and drew me to whatever he had he invited me to a youth camp i didn't end up going um and then him and another brother peter started coming over and they started continually sharing to me and just doing what they could basically to get me to come to church and took me out to lunch you know was just sharing to me about things of god and a few weeks later i was at a bible study and i remember doing this bible study um with george ferrari who's marcella's cousin sister marcella's cousin and heard about acts 238 for the first time and i'd gone to church a little bit when i was a kid i'd, I'd been with friends been with some of my mates to like a Baptist church and to a church of Christ sort of in my, from around the age of 10 to maybe around the age of 14 and, you know, gone to a couple of youth camps and things like that. Used to go to youth services, you know, it was just sort of had a little bit of a background in church that way and had a little bit of knowledge about the word of God, but not much, you know, right. it was really rudimentary, really surface level and, the first time I heard about the, the Acts 238 message, the this born again experience, it just blew my mind. I went, how on earth did I never hear of this before? How, how did this not get taught to me when I was going to these youth groups? Mm. How did this never pop up before? Right. And even in that same Bible study, I was taught a really basic lesson also in the oneness of God. And again, it just blew my mind. I just went, I mean, it wasn't like I was some expert in the Trinity or, <laughs> you know, I, I barely knew what the Trinity was, but when this was taught to me, it just blew my mind. I loved the message. I, I just thought, wow, this is, people need to know this. Mm. I guess it was sort of what I was thinking. And it was like this epiphany, like this, opening of the clouds and all of a sudden the answer was there and that night after the bible study my mate asked me oh, you want to come to a cell group with us I, I didn't know what a cell group was that sounded like something <laughs> where you're going to end up in a prison of some kind it's the cell cell of a body Ben. it's the cell of a yes. body <laughs> yes and we are the mitochondria that's right 
And so that night went to this home group over at Brother Sam and Sister Sala's house in Lakemba. And I remember walking in there and I had my mate's tracksuit pants. I don't know why. I must have slept over their house or something or somehow borrowed somebody else's clothes. And they were like the ugliest pants. And I just felt like really embarrassed wearing these pants because they weren't my own clothes. And I felt really out of place. But then also just walking into the presence of God that was in that place that night, it it made me sort of feel uncomfortable as well because I, I was so, I guess, full of sin. Mm. And I felt kind of dirty in that way. But at the same time, I was drawn to to the presence of God and I remember um, hearing the preaching that night in that home group and it was about rejection and it spoke to my heart so deeply. It was, again, it was like all the things that I'd been doing in my life, you know, the drugs, the, you know, like stealing from shops when I didn't even want to steal. I didn't even have to steal. Like I, Mm. I wasn't some, you know, I wasn't homeless. I wasn't living on the street. There was no need for me to steal. And yet, you know, just to kind of fit in, you know, we'd go and do that or we'd do graffiti or we'd do whatever. Just half these things I didn't even want to do, but I just did them because I was trying to fit in with the crowd. I was trying to just be accepted. I was trying Mm. to feel a part of something. But at the same time, I kept feeling as though I was just trying to fit in and I was like this square peg in a round hole kind of thing. And, And then when I heard this teaching about rejection and how we fear rejection as humans, and I'd never heard anything like that in my life. I mean, now it's like, you know, commonplace. We hear about this stuff, you know, and this kind of popular psychology and so right. forth. But in those days, you never heard things like this and um, relating that, how we can find acceptance in God, how we can find ourselves in God, how God will accept us. Jesus will accept us no matter what all of a sudden it was like, wow, this is, it was like one of the greatest days of my life to have that first Bible study in the early afternoon. And then to that night, hear that preaching and that message. And then they asked me if I wanted to receive the Holy spirit to receive the Holy ghost. And I said, sure. I didn't really know what it was. They said, have you repented of your sins? And I really felt as I did. I, I, without even maybe something had been said during the message, but I remember praying and asking God to forgive me of my sins and asking God to change me and and help me to change and help me to, you know, change my life. And they prayed for me. And within a few minutes I was speaking in tongues as the spirit of God filled me. And I remember people cheering and happy and clapping and, you know, as, as happens and just feeling, you know, on top of the world, 10 foot tall. Amazing. So how, how old were you at this time? Roughly? I was 20 years old. 20. I just turned 20. And you had, so, and you had yet to come to actual church. You had, this had happened in a Bible study and then in a small group. Yeah. I'd, I had been to, I think the week before maybe. Uh, or a couple of weeks before I'd been to like an assemblies of God church with um, another mate of mine, Willie mm-hmm. and went with his family there. And I remember them. I, I was, I think I was high when I went there. Um, I think I'd smoked 
marijuana before I'd gone there. And then I remember going there and, you know, I thought it was, it was pretty cool and, you know, it looked all right. There was, there was one, I remember there was one person dancing up the front mm. and seeing it when we came, when I came to Grace Tabernacle or now we call Pentecostals of Sydney and seeing like the majority of the church dancing, I did notice the difference there. But I remember also going to the front and they, they tried to pray, you know, they were, they were praying for me and I could feel them sort of trying to push on my forehead. And I was like, oh, okay, the, I guess, am I supposed to fall over or, and I kind of, I don't know, maybe I didn't fall over. Maybe I was meant to, I, I don't know, but I didn't. And I just, though, I remember the, the, the presence of God. I just felt that night in that home group. Yeah. I hadn't been to a church. I hadn't been to a oneness Pentecostal church. And yet that was my first experience with God was in that home, in that little flat in Lakemba. That's awesome. So you started attending uh, services at, which was then GTCC in Campsie. At what point did you feel the call to ministry? At what point did you feel the call to, um, you know, we're, we're all called to, to ministry per se, but I'm saying more mm. so the preaching type of ministry, uh, the type of ministry that you now you know, walk in day to day? Yeah, sure. Well, look, I, I got baptized, obviously, not long after that, uh, I think it was like the week or second, I think it was a week after I got the Holy Ghost, I was baptized. And I remember Brother Gonzalez came to preach the following week after I got baptized. Oh, wow. And I'd never seen anything like this in my life. I'd never even heard any. The closest thing I'd seen to, I guess, Pentecostal preaching was there's this bit in a movie called the blues brothers where James Brown does this <laughs> yeah. thing. That was like the closest thing I'd ever seen. And this, it kind of reminded me of that. And, and then I, I just be, remember being amazed at the, at the, I guess the passion that brother Gonzalez preached with. And in a sense, I thought, wow, I'd love to do that. Now I'm definitely when I preach, I'm definitely no brother Gonzalez. I, I'm, I'm, that's not my style, I guess. But I remember even in my you know first week coming to church or second week coming to church, being inspired and thinking, "Wow, that that would be something mm. to be able to do that. I'd love to be able to do that, and how awesome that would be to be able to present the Bible in such a passionate way." and I remember preaching maybe about six months after that. I preached for, I don't know, 10 minutes, maybe five to 10 minutes at a home group, cell group, as we called them in those days, little mitochondria. <laughs> and I remember this message I preached, something to do with a tree or something. I don't know. I can't even remember it. It was probably the worst preaching message ever known to man it was simple it was yeah, poorly constructed it was the most unskillful horrible message ever put together but you know what it it actually got people inspired and we wow. it, people liked it and and they responded and we went and preached on the street that night you know at, up in king's cross and as bad as it was it made me realize i could do it 
and I had the ability to do it. And one of the main things, though, that I loved doing was I remember starting to teach. I started to teach a Bible study to my cousin after I'd finished exploring God's Word. I went and then taught it to my cousin, and I realized I loved teaching the Word of God. I loved sharing about the Word of God. I loved to explain things, and you know, so much so that I sort of made my own Bible studies after a few years, you know, I started to do, I wanted to do my own after reading David Bernard's book about the oneness of God. I thought, Oh, how can I make this into like a, a short Bible study? That's mm. sort of concise. How can I make this really easy to understand, you know, so that somebody is sort of, I guess, thick as me can be able to understand it quickly and easily so i wanted to be able to I, I remember you know like i said that first time i was taught a bible study and taught about acts 238 and taught about the oneness of god and how that blew my mind i wanted to be able to do that with others i wanted mm -hmm. to be able to blow their mind with the word of god and what's in the word of god because so many people they've heard the bible perhaps bits of the bible but they they don't understand it or they don't understand the gems that are in there and and the the way it can just expand your revelation and you know you just learn things from the word of god that just astound you and surprise you and change your life and i wanted to be able to do that and i guess that's when i sort of felt that call to ministry during those years knowing that and wanting to be able to teach others or share to others and be able to blow their mind with the word of God mm. yeah. the way my mind had been blown by the word of God. Yeah. It sounds like it was born out of like a, a passion for the word of God and then a burden for others, which is exactly the way a call to ministry should come about. It should come about from a passion for God's word and then that burden to, to teach it to somebody else. Exactly. I guess that, that was it. Exactly. Mm. So what advice would you give? Like say a, a young person or maybe not even a young person, maybe someone uh, who's just come to the Lord uh, is feeling that call, that desire to to step into ministry, and, and they're just taking those first few steps. What advice would you give them as someone who is starting out on this journey? Yeah, my advice would be to start where you can, where you're at. Whatever the doors that are opening for you and opportunities that are there, you may not realize that they're there, that there's opportunities right around you, right at your feet, right, you know, close at hand, take those opportunities, take initiative. Obviously, you need to be answerable, you need to have leadership, a mentor, you know, somebody to report to, to get feedback from, to get training and guidance. You know, we obviously need that, but try and find a gap and fill it. Hmm. Try to find somewhere you can do something whatever that is, you know, mm. whether it's helping somebody else with a Bible study, whether it's, you know, doing something in the church, it's quite simple. doesn't seem like much, but if you start small, it'll lead to bigger things. And, and don't be that person that comes to church and just comes to church waiting for someone to make them do something. You know, the, you don't want to be that person that comes to church and 10 years later, they're like, oh, well, no one asked me to get involved and no one, you know, made me do anything. And it's like, no, don't be that person.
be the person that takes initiative, be the person that is asking, you know, how can I help? How can I do something? How can I, you know, assist? Where can I be active? Hmm. You know, that like that saying, be the church. Right. Be the church, be active. Jesus is coming, so we need to look busy, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> you know the boss is coming back, so we need to get busy. <laughs> we need to make sure that we're doing something. And I think that's the main thing, you know, just simply, you know, do what you can, not just be that person that comes to church, feels like they get what they need and then leave, right. you know, because we've there's too many people like that, mm. you know, but be involved, be active, just get busy, find what you can do. And, and that'll grow from there. You know, that, that'll grow from there. You know, don't expect to be preaching to the church straight away. It'll start small, you know, it might be in a home group. It might be in youth. It might even just be a one-on-one Bible study, but whatever it is, find those opportunities yourself find, and take the initiative. Don't wait for other people past the stands you know, 600 people to worry about. He's not going to, if you don't say anything to him, he's assuming you don't want to be involved perhaps. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important to take that initiative and, and take that step. If you feel the call of God into ministry and, and you've got that passion for the word of God and you've got a burden for somebody, then just get about doing it. Find someone who will help you learn how to teach a proper Bible study you know, be active in in seeking after what God has for you because ministry doesn't just fall in your lap. Uh, exactly. I've yet to talk to somebody on this podcast where ministry just fell in their lap. They were, they were coming to church, doing nothing, and then now they're, you know, doing great things for God. No, it's it always happens with people who are active and interested. Yeah, very good. Amen. You were uh, the youth pastor at the POS for uh, a number of years before you became the one of the assistant pastors there. Uh, in fact, when I first came to Australia in, in 2009, you were the uh, youth pastor. Did you take over? What, what year was it that you started leading the youth? Uh, 2007. 2007. So I came end of 2008, beginning of 2009, and you were my youth pastor, and I was lucky to sit under, sit under your ministry for a number of years. Uh and there was a lot of young leaders that were developed under your leadership. And uh, many of them are in key positions, like, say, Ben Revel, he's pastoring over in Parramatta. you got Sam Renimo, who's our Disciple Makers leader, Brother Greg Wilmot, who is our youth pastor. Um, that's just to name a few. There's others that are busy. Uh, my wife, Rachel Wilmot, Elizabeth Everett, who's now Barrett over in Perth. And you got people all over the country, all over the world that were that are now in key positions in the kingdom of God. What was your approach in developing young leaders? Because I feel like, along with Pastor, obviously Pastor had his hand in that, and I'm sure you're about to give him credit as well. But what was your approach when it came to developing young leaders? Yeah, well, like you said, uh, started off in youth ministry. I was actually junior youth leader, or one of the junior youth leaders before that in 07. And then uh, the church went through, our church went through a bit of a time of, a bit, bit of a tumultuous time at that time. And obviously um, as a result, uh, the, the youth leader became the pastor 
and now we have uh, Pastor Stan as our pastor. So he was my youth leader at that time before that. And then when I first took on the role, I remember my youth committee was pretty much all young ladies. They're all like girls in their teens or early twenties and your wife being one of them. And they were, they were, they were great. They were so helpful. Our, our youth was quite small at the time. We probably had about 20 or so in the youth and it was just, it was such a young youth. And I remember that at the time, I think we had Marcelo. He was maybe the only guy that we had in our youth committee. And, and it was just, I remember praying because I remember when I first came to church, there was like a, there was already a group of young guys that was, this was brother Mo, brother Stan, brother Jacob. They were already sort of there when I came to church and they were inspiring, helpful for us because it was when we came to church, it was kind of a group of us as well. So there was another another group of guys coming and we all sort of formed this super group of guys and sort of, you know, that would pray and fast together and go to the streets and, and help one another growing God. And I sort of wanted to see that happen as well in the youth, but there were just no guys. So I remember, and not there was anything wrong with the girls that we had and that that was that was great, but who are these girls going to marry? You know, and um, and it and they were and they were doing so well. You know, the the, the Rachels and the and the Stephs and and the Lizzes and and so forth. But I remember praying for a group of young men that would come and join the youth just to provide that balance and to inspire the young people. And and then we started to see them come. Obviously, you coming all the way from the states. You know, it, it took Steph to drag you over from America and uh, you know that was a blessing in itself and then we had young Rachel drag Greg Wilmot down from Brisbane so again another blessing Brisbane's loss was our gain and we had Jared Cannon come yeah, we had yeah, Keith yeah. Chow come we had Spike and Jerome come from New Zealand we had Sam Rainema come then we had you know other leaders uh, you know future leaders come we've got Sioni who's leading the prayer you know he came Matt mm-hmm. Kogan Lani then later we had like Jimmy and Navi and Josh and that group from Bass Hill High and so we it was you know that prayer was well and truly answered and now we see obviously that the the youth are probably numbering I guess they get about 70 80 100 sometimes in attendance oh. and um, you know obviously Brother Wilmot's done a, a great job ever since he's taken over a few years back. But I guess in terms of approach to developing young leaders, like like you said, Pastor Stan was a, a massive blessing. He was he was so hands-on with the youth. I guess being a, a a former youth leader himself and youth pastor himself, he still had that link and that passion. And you know, because he's he was still young as well when he took over as as pastor he was very connected to the youth and, you know, he's obviously got that um, passion to be able to take young people with him when he goes on overseas trips and missions and so forth. And I think that really assists, I guess my approach though was by giving leaders as, you know, the young leaders, young people that are willing to lead as much autonomy as possible, Mm. you know, to sort of get them to run their own services you know, it's just, obviously you kind of put the lines in and let them colour within the lines. But, you know, you, you show them how and you set some ground rules and you give them advice where possible in, 
encourage them to, you know, really um, take the initiative and, and to, I guess, you know, have that autonomy and freedom to do things the way they want and be creative. Um, I guess really trying to encourage enthusiasm, you know, and, and getting people to do this kind of DIY Christianity in a sense, you know, like if they want to start a group, if they want to start a Bible study, if they want to do something, try not to stand in their way too much, try not mm. to restrict people from, you know, it's okay if people have a go and they fail, I'd rather them have a go and it doesn't work than sit there and do nothing. Mm. And I think, you know, if you just let people have a crack and try not to get in their way too much, then they will inspire others, you know, to obviously step out and, and do something and, and hopefully, you know, have great success in the kingdom of God. I know as someone who was, you know, being raised under your leadership, uh, it was such, so encouraging to be given that freedom, you know, to, uh, Hey, I know we would have our meetings and be like, okay, so you've got this Friday. You, you'd even tell us, Hey, it's a service or, you know, we need to do something creative. All right, now go and, and plan it. And we would, we would be organizing the music. We'd be organizing, you know, the screens. We'd basically run that Friday. And sometimes I, I definitely felt like, it's like, is, is brother Ben doing anything? Um, but, <laughs> that was my whole plan. Just, <laughs> just let but, them run it. But I, I, I see, uh, you know, in hindsight, how really good that was. And uh, especially at that time, as you said, there, there was a lot of new faces, young men, young ladies, uh, new and, and developing and growing the youth group. And having that opportunity to, to be a leader for a Friday, to be able to share helped us develop in our ministry like quickly a lot quicker than it, it could have taken so i see you as a uh, leader who has humility and i don't want to embarrass you but is constantly seeking to encourage others i, I can't remember a time where i've seen i've heard you talk down about anyone there's a possibility that you might have but i don't remember it ever uh, you're constantly lifting people up uh, you're not someone who has to be in the spotlight. You know, you, you're, you'd actually <laughs> rather push somebody else into the spotlight. And I think those are very noble characteristics. So I'd like to ask you, what advice would you give to others to help them foster those sorts of characteristics in their own lives, uh, humility and being an encouragement to others? Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's it, isn't it? You know, don't try to take yourself too seriously. Try not to, you know, always think about, I guess, what you can do for others or helping others, you know, and looking and being encouraged by the growth and development that you see in others. And, uh, you know, I don't know, it's a bit of a tough one, eh? But um, I guess uh, how to foster, you know, humility. That's exactly it. I guess if you focus on, the kingdom of God and you're focusing on the lives of others and what you can do in the lives of others and take that focus away from yourself. You know, obviously we need to grow and we need to make sure that we're sort of developing in God and we need to, you know, make sure that, you know, we're getting proper training and that we're seeking God for ourselves and that we're you know, improving ourselves in God, if that sort of makes sense. But 
if your aim is to do that in order to be able to make an impact on the lives of others, then the, the focus shifts from yourself and focus shifts onto others. Then one, it'll make you happier. Mm. Um, yeah, you're going to be disappointed sometimes. You're going to be let down. I remember, you know, even as a youth leader, obviously, you see people fail, you know, and you pour, you feel like you're pouring yourself into people and then they, they leave or they mess up or whatever. But I remember um, Tim Sheens, who's a rugby league coach, and when he coached the, uh, the mighty West Tigers to their 2005 grand final victory, uh, during that season, he had all these young players like Benji Marshall and Robbie Farrow and so forth. And they're all young and they'd, they'd win a couple of games and then they'd lose a game and they were kind of really inconsistent. And I remember Tim, Tim Sheen's getting interviewed and they, and they asked him, you know, how can you, you know, sort of, how do you deal with this inconsistency? And he said, young people are consistently inconsistent. Mm. And I remember that just sort of hitting home and going, well, I've never heard anyone say that before. Almost like, don't be surprised if young people are inconsistent. It's a part of being young. You're still trying to learn consistency. You're still trying to learn how to develop that. Some people develop it quicker than others. And, you know, if you think you kind of allow for young people to be a bit up and down, and perhaps sometimes I was a bit too accepting of people being down, like maybe I needed to be a bit more strict with people. But, you know, I sort of, I remember Pastor Slack, our previous pastor, he always said, err on the side of grace. And you've kind of got to do that with yourself as well. You know, err on the side of grace. Not that you, you know, just let, everything happen and you don't have any standards and you don't have, you know, any expectations, but at the same time, you're not let down when people fail to live up to those expectations. Mm. You know, you just, you sort of, if they mess up, you, you try to think, okay, how would I like to be treated if I mess up? How would I like to be treated if I fall into, you know, problems or I'm not quite living up to, you know the the mark or missing the mark harmatia as the the bible says you know for sin missing the mark harmatia how would i like to be on the other side of that conversation and i don't necessarily think that you know telling someone off or punishing someone's necessarily going to do the trick mm. obviously you know sometimes we need to have to have a harder word to people as leaders but at the same time you, you'd rather just tell them to get back up in love and to encourage people. And I guess that's about that, you know, that encourages humility, knowing that we're all, you know, a bad weekend away from absolutely destroying our life in God and, you know, perhaps our whole life, mm. you know, we could, we're just a few decisions away. All of us are a few decisions away from you know, losing our salvation. And so knowing that, and, and, and knowing that when other people are in that state, that could be you and, and sort of thinking, well, how would I want to be spoken to? How would I want to be dealt with in that situation? I think that helps. Mm. Do unto others. Amen. Amen. That's right. <laughs> you're uh, the, as we mentioned, you're the one of the assistant pastors at the POS. You're a full-time employee for uh, New South Wales government. And 
you're married with is it two teenagers is is ezra a teenager yeah. now yeah, yeah he's a teenager well he's 12 oh, uh, i guess Te we, technically he's got one more year <laughs> he's in high school though so yeah. yeah well i'll i'll allow it i'll allow it so he you got two teenagers how how do you find balance because obviously you're not you know full-time employed by the church but yet a lot is expected of you when it comes to ministry how is it that you're able to find that balance to make sure that you know family is still getting your time you're able to invest in the church and then also have your career uh, i don't <laughs> <laughs> no no actually um my darling wife, uh, Latai, she's, she's probably the one that helps in that area. Like she's kind of like my watchdog in a sense, in terms of I, I, my, one of my faults is I'm a, I'm, I say yes to people. Mm. I don't like saying no to people. Somebody asked me to do something unless I, I feel as I have the ultimate excuse. I, I feel like I can't say no, but she's teaching me how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> and has taught me how to say no more often and so she can see when i'm overstretched when i'm when i'm when i'm stressed when i'm being less effective because i'm not you know i'm not balancing my time properly between work um the kingdom of god and family mm. and also uh she'll just point out you know if i'm getting too busy and be on my back about it and go okay well what are you going to what are you going to say no to? What are you going to give up? There's got to be something. It's got to be a trade-off, you know? Mm. And so that's been, she's been very helpful in that area and always been a blessing to me in that sense because it just balances my sort of yes-man mentality. I guess there's some key things, like there's some rules we have as a family and we try to eat together as much as possible at the dinner table, like trying to make sure that we um, always, or as often as possible, eat dinner at the dinner table. I think that just helps with family dynamic and keeping the family together. Um, myself and Latai, we, we try to have, you know, people talk about date nights. We, we have date mornings, date brunches where we usually Saturday morning. That's the only time we get free. Usually um, when we can, we, we go out on a Saturday morning for, for a walk and um, some brunch and so forth. Uh, also we try to, now that we're in lockdown, we've been walking, most lunch times to the cafe at Bubble Park. So it's a good 3K walk there and back. So that's our time to, you know, have a bit of a debrief and catch up as a couple and get away from the kids um, while they're doing schoolwork <coughs> at home. Exactly. Uh, also reading the Bible with the kids. So most nights, especially weeknights, always read the Bible and have prayer with the, with the boys and get them to read the Bible so that they're used to reading the Bible and get them to pray. And we have family prayer every Tuesday, actually, with um, uh, my wife's sister's family and their nieces and nephews. So it's really helpful in terms of that as well. So I think making sure that you've got that balance at home first, and mm -hmm. that will then exude balance outside of the home and making sure, obviously, your prayer life's down. You know, I've got a rule when it comes to I don't go on my phone until I've prayed, mm. until I've prayed through, until I've done 50 push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I pray that I'll do 50 push-ups and then, and, and it's been really good during this lockdown, obviously had the morning prayer meetings as well, try to join them as often as possible, had the prayer chain 
and and that's just helped with accountability as well and you know just i guess if you've got things right in your personal life in your prayer life in your family life then you can Mm. bring that balance across and you're energized and you're revived internally so that you can bring that energy across outside yeah the the lockdowns have been frustrating but i do feel like as a church it's allowed us to find more spiritual balance um, because there is free time you, you're not going here and there and you're not doing stuff all the time that uh, if if you make that decision you're able to find more of that spiritual balance yeah and i completely 100 percent agree with the uh pray think about god before you reach over and grab that phone even if it's your alarm you know turn the alarm off and then pray <laughs> exactly exactly but um you know that's the thing you know these days it's actually funny you say that about lockdown i feel as i'm more busy during this lockdown period i think people have just assumed i'm not going to work during lockdown and people at work assume i'm not doing anything outside of work so i'm getting hammered from both sides i've, <laughs> I've actually never been this busy in my life but oh, wow. we don't have the tra- the travel time so at least that's a a, a help but yeah it is it is uh, at least i can do things from home i don't have to wear a tie every day <laughs> well i've i've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation and uh, I'm, I'm sure the listeners have as well, getting to know you and a bit bit more about um, your leadership and all of that. And uh, I like to end these conversations giving uh, the guests an opportunity to share a word with the listeners, something you know they feel that God has laid on their heart specifically for this podcast and the ones who will be listening to this. So uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing a word with the listeners as we finish up today. Thanks again for your time today. No worries. Thank you for the the invite, Brother Greg. Um, yes. Proverbs twenty three twenty three says, "Buy the truth and sell it not. Buy the truth and sell it not. Also, wisdom and instruction and understanding." I think we leave that part off a lot of the time, but we need to buy the truth, but also wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And what we have is is precious. You know, what we have is so precious. The revelation of one God you know, the revelation of understanding this untainted gospel of Jesus Christ as the apostles taught it, as the apostles preached it. And we all say, though, we need to be open to the fact that we don't know everything, that we're not, you know, across all revelation. We don't have all revelation. We don't have all knowledge. So we need to continue to seek his face. We need to continue to study his word. We need to allow his truth to grow in us. His love's so real and we need to understand that his love and we need to want to have others experience his love you know, because Jesus is the truth. And if he is the truth, then we need to have fully bought the truth. And that means that we need to have fully bought into Jesus, not to sell it out for you know some shiny ideology, not to sell Jesus out for the bright lights or for fame, for your career, or for luxury or for comfort, or even for the other side, like for bitterness and unforgiveness, and, or even for your family, something good, you know? And we need to fully buy into this truth. We need to buy into Jesus and not to sell out. But we also, as I said, as that verse says, we need to 
buy into wisdom. We need to buy into instruction, doctrine, teaching. We need to buy into understanding. So wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Understanding who we are in God. Understanding the role we play in the kingdom of God. Understand you know, having God's wisdom in our lives more and more, especially at these times, you know, and there's a lot of noise around social media and just in society in general, obviously with this whole situation with COVID, there's a lot of panic. People are just, you know, losing wisdom, it seems. And there's never been a more important time than to have the peace of God and to have wisdom and to really get into the word and understand the word and, to have instruction and to understand our, our place in God and what's our purpose. You know, there's a, a lot of conspiracy theories going around at the moment, but our purpose isn't to spread conspiracy theories. Our purpose is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our mm-hmm. purpose is to spread the love of Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to buy the truth and sell it not, to spread this truth, to spread this message, to preach the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ and to see others saved. And, and even during this time where we may not have as much physical interaction with people, we need to still be promoting the kingdom of God, promoting the good news of Jesus Christ to buy into this truth and to sell it not, and not to be diverted not to be sidetracked, not to fall down some rabbit hole on YouTube, but to make sure that we're connected to God and that we're trying to connect others to Jesus Christ as much as possible. And that's what we should be doing. I don't do it enough, but we all need to encourage one another to do it more because there's never been a more important time and a more necessary thing to do and a more, I guess, desperate time as this where we're, coming into those last days we can see the signs we can see things are leading up to where they're leading up to and we can see prophecy is starting to be fulfilled right in front of our eyes and there's nothing there's it's never been more important than to preach the gospel right now amen well let's pray hallelujah dear heavenly father I pray, Lord, that your truth, Lord Jesus, would seep into our hearts, Lord Jesus, that your truth would inspire us, Lord Jesus, to go places we've never been before in you, Lord Jesus, to be brave, to be courageous, Lord Jesus, to be bold, Lord, with this message, with this good news, with this gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would go forth and share it, whether it be online, in social media, at the coffee shop, wherever we go, Lord, with our friends and families, help us, Lord Jesus that in love, with wisdom and understanding and instruction, Lord, that we would go forth with this truth, with this truth, Lord Jesus, about who you are, about what we need to do to be saved, about what we need to do to be born again and enter into the kingdom of God, how we can instruct others, how we can use wisdom at this time, how we can give understanding Lord Jesus, help us. Help us at this time, Lord, to buy the truth and sell it not. Help us, Lord. May your truth, Lord Jesus, be just... May it grow in us, Lord. May it inspire us. May it cause us to do mighty exploits, Lord. May the gifts of the Spirit rise up in your church. May we, Lord, step 
out in faith like we never have before, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus, to stretch ourselves in you, Lord, and to do mighty exploits, just as you said, greater works that we will do. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would do these things right now, that we would take full advantage, Lord, of the, of the opportunities that present before us, Lord Jesus, and that with your power and your anointing, we will go forth and step out by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.